Hey, welcome back to the Relentless Positivity Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Martin. Got a great guest with you today, my friend, Frank Bardry, the probate bud, judge, or the budge, whatever you call him, depending on who you are. Uh, Madison County here, uh, he's married to the lovely Jennifer. He's, he's got a 13-year-old now. It's crazy to both of us, his son, Grant. I can't believe he's 13. But uh, hey, Frank, thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thrilled to be with you today. So how many times have you been called the budge since you've been the judge? I haven't. Um, there's, you know, I just told my chief clerk, we never have the same day twice in this court. Mm-hmm. Um, we always, every, th- every day brings a new challenge, a new set of circumstances. So that's a new one for today. Uh, okay. I've been called a lot worse than, than the budge. Yeah, I've heard. <laughs> I'm <been>, certain. <laughs> I've heard they call you the no budge judge. That's just a <laughs> Well, <rumor. laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. All right, so uh, hey, let's just get into it. So let's talk about how you grew up and kind of your journey to becoming a judge. So let's, where did you grow up? Well, I grew up here. Um, this is home. My son makes eight generations on my mother's side of the family to grow up here in Madison County. Um, my mother, Portions of my mother's family were here when we were still part of the Mississippi Territory. So this is certainly home. Um, my parents are divorced. Uh, both have been remarried for many years. And I, spent, I split my time really between being in Huntsville um, one set of parents had a farm in southern Tennessee. One had a farm uh, a little bit south of Huntsville. And, uh, but this is home. Uh, my mother's the youngest of nine children. And so Huntsville and uh, Madison County, North Alabama is home to us. And so um, I grew up here. I don't, um, you know, I boomeranged like many of us did. I moved to central Florida. Um, my work took me there. I met Jennifer there, married a Florida girl and brought her back. And uh, we, we wanted to raise our son here. And so um, uh, I never, this is not a path that I set out to be on. Uh, it's certainly not uh, anything I thought I would ever do. I'm certainly honored to get to do this work, but I'm, I'm someone of faith. And I do believe that to an extent, your steps get ordered for you. And um, it's, it's interesting to look back and analyze the things I've been able to accomplish and the um, opportunities I've been given that helped me and, and helped me uh, do this work. And I'm certain, like I said, I, I'm just, I'm honored to get to do it in the quiet of the day when you sit back and you feel the gravity of what you're responsible for and what you have the opportunity to do. I'm, I continue to be in awe that I'm able to do what I do every day. Very cool. So where along that journey do you be, did you pick up your love of the sweater vest? <laughs> you know, I think that it's um, for me, it's a fat boy thing. I think it's slimming. Um, it's, it's not too hot this time of the year. Um, I don't like to wear a jacket or a coat. Um, I was one of those kids, my mother constantly, people are going to think we didn't buy you a proper coat. Yep, We're going to think I we can't afford to buy you a coat, but on a coat, you know, I'm, I am, um, not that it's a pretty picture, but I'll, I'll run to the mailbox in shorts this time of the year. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, if I have to work at our farm and I'm going to be in our enclosed tractor, I'll wear a pair of shorts this time of the year. So for me, it's comfort. Uh, it is funny. Um, we kind of refer to it here at the office and at home as my uniform. Yeah, I've oh, got yeah. one in just about every color and I wear one with great frequency. So I appreciate that you wore one today. I tried. This is close. <laughs> I get get my puffer vest out here. <laughs> Uh, man, I, I tried, but you rock it, man. You look good. You and Gus Malzahn probably get along. Really oh, good. well, you're, you're, you're mighty kind. I don't know that I rock much of anything when it comes to fashion. I just wear what I'm comfortable in. And uh, there are certain times when Jennifer will go, now you've worn that one thin. It's time to throw that one away or we need to pass that along. So I'm glad she actually tells you. Just she does. Just say, it'll, or, just, it'll just disappear one day. Well, or things will go missing. I've had that occur. You know, I've, I've had some, t- some favorite t-shirts that had holes in bad places that, you know, I'm like, gosh, it took 20 years to break that in just right. And it'll disappear. 
Yeah, so, it'll happen. That's all right. So uh, take me back. So take me back to the day you decide, hey, I'm going to run. And then tell me what Jennifer said after you, after you said that. Well, let me, let me, you know, um, let me tell you a little bit first. Um, you know, my work in Florida, um, I, I ended up um, working in a nonprofit environment in Florida that dealt with issues related to aging, um, elder care issues, elder abuse issues, um, that a lot of mental health work, a lot of work with youth, um, but with a focus on adoptions as well. And so I had um, a number of years of experience volunteering um, at a board level in that capacity and then working as a, um, a vice president in that capacity for really the largest, one of the largest nonprofits in the community that, that uh, we lived in in Florida. And when we decided we wanted to come back to Huntsville, I did not have necessarily an idea of exactly what I wanted to accomplish. We were fortunate that we could come back and transition kind of slowly. And so the first seven or eight months we were back, um, I had the opportunity to, you know, raise, work with raising my son and re-engaging with family and buying a home and that kind of thing. And so um, I, I re-entered things slowly. Um, I had done a lot of project management work, building programs, using federal and state resources, local resources, trying to match money. And I had an opportunity to come to work for the probate judge at that time, our former judge, Judge Raglan. Um, and I came in really to manage the elections process for him. And I thought, well, this will be fun. It will give me something to do. I can use my, my program management skills and I can help clean up and manage this process well. And I'll do that while I look for another opportunity. Um, and maybe this is not the right fit, but I'd certainly like a challenge and I had one. Um, but I came into uh, working for him, not really having a clear understanding of what this court did um, or the depth and breadth of the, the work that we do. And so um, we did a lot of work in elections and then I was very fortunate. He put a lot of trust in me and I worked in many areas of our office. Um, and it, like I mentioned, when we first started our conversation, your steps get ordered. And I've been able to use, you know, my experience starting as a volunteer and then working my way into working and becoming a nonprofit executive into the work that we execute it, through the court. And so it's kind of fascinating to look back and see how all that occurred. I never set out on a path. I'm not a lawyer by education. Uh, that's not required in every county in the state of Alabama for a probate judge. Uh, and so um, being a uh, unlearned in the law, um, I never set out on this path. It's just something that was put in my path. That's cool. Um, I've always had a, a, a focus to serve. Um, I've grown up in a family of folks that are givers. Um, my mother and her sisters, uh, especially, and I grew up in a family of very strong, dominant women. Um, that were always working to help someone else. And it could have been just encouragement and prayer, or it could have been check writing, it could have been taking food, it could have been helping someone out. Um, and the men were involved in that as well. My, my uncles, all of, all of our family are just, we're constantly, you know, how can we be of help? Uh, and so um, I get to help folks every day. Um, sometimes it's small, Sometimes it's as major as putting a child with their forever family, which is pretty awesome. But I have an opportunity every day to touch somebody's life in the work that we do. Yeah. So tell me, before you got this job, I had no idea the breadth and, and, the, and the scope that you guys covered. Through us. So tell, tell people what you cover, all that you cover in your office. 
Well, we have a lot of uh, a lot of duties, and I will tell folks, I, and I often say this, and I don't want to diminish the importance of what we do, but I've always felt that the title of judge is not necessarily the right title for the job. Um, we do a lot of what the law would would uh, determine as ministerial and, and administrative work. It's very specific and very straightforward. So yes, you might come before the court, but there's a very structured process on what can and can't be done, and um, it's um, it's very administrative. Um, so the court process is, is, is one that's administrative. Again, I don't want to diminish the importance of it, uh, but it's certainly not a circuit or district court or, or your typical trial court. Um, we have a lot of administrative functions that folks don't think of. Everybody does business with this office. Um, every deed, every mortgage um, gets recorded in this court. We are the official record keeper of county documents. And so um, we, on average, record about 600 documents per day that have nothing to do with court as you think of it. Um, our recording clerks that manage those records, that image them, that make them available online electronically, handle about 600 individual documents per day. That could be a single page document or a document that's hundreds of pages long. So land sales agreements, corporate contracts, um, land leases, all of those types of documents are recorded here. Um, in addition to that, I am the um, official that um, gives someone the authority to be a notary in the county. So your notary bond is presented to us. I sign bonds frequently throughout the day um, that appoints notaries based on um, the bond they present to the court in their application. Um, marriage has, the, the um, recording of marriage documents has changed in the last few years, but we record marriage affidavits. So if you're married um, here in Madison County, those are recorded in my office. Um, we also handle uh, on the court side um, a various number of things, uh, guardianships and conservatorships. That's when someone would be incapacitated and needs oversight of maybe the management of their health care, their, their home care. Um, conservatorship would cover management of their resources. Um, we, of course, probate means to prove, and um, we administer and oversee um, the administration of estates. So if someone passes intestate without a will, that would be an administration. Someone dies with a will, um, we would administer and oversee the administration of that will through the court, through the court system. Um, important component of the court side of things, um, the oversight of involuntary mental health commitments in the county. And we can talk more about that a little later. That's something along with adoptions that I have focused on. Um, we also handle something unpleasant. And I always remind folks when they're in front of me, uh, in a hearing that, you know, the law requires that I do this, but we handle issues of eminent domain. So if land is being taken for public safety or a road improvement project, an improvement project in some form, um, if the owner and the entity, whether it's the city, the county, the state, don't come to an agreement um, with that property owner, it comes before this court for determination. Um, we do that by appointing an independent um, board of commissioners to look at it and of course, I take their opinion to, to rule on the matter. But um, that's a little taste of, of um, the administrative side, the court side. And then really the third leg of what we do is I serve as the chief elections official for the county. So all uh, statewide and um, uh, federal elections are administered through this office. Uh, everything from retaining and training all of the election workers to testing equipment, to making sure you've got a ballot that you can vote on on election day. Um, we oversee that process. And we also work with our municipalities 
and we support their elections and I help the cities administer all of their elections. And we have six municipalities in Madison County, whether it's um, New Hope and Gurley and the town of Triana that have small elections where we can do that with relative ease, or it's the city of Huntsville or the city of Madison that have very large elections. Um, we, we assist with those as well. So that's, that's kind of a quick shot uh, of what we do. I'm thankful y'all are doing all that. I don't want any part of any of that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, but so. uh, you know, it's uh, you, but Joe, you get to you know, and you you understand this in your work, and you're an inspiration to us because you true, you know, the the title of your podcast, Relentless Positivity, is true. I've known you now for gosh, seven or eight years, um, and that co completely defines you. Um, you work and you focus on helping others improve and being an encourager um, and an encouragement to others. And you know what the joy is of being able to help someone and sure. seeing somebody's situation improve. Um, and we get to do that every day in all of those functions. Somebody might be thrilled to get their notary. It might be a first time home buyer that comes to file their deed themselves. Um, you get to experience that with folks every day in some capacity. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I was just, I was just picturing me having to file all those documents and I got a little, got a little twitchy, so. Um, but hey, you know, listen, I, and I can't take credit for um, everything that goes on in this office. It certainly it certainly works from the top down. I have a phenomenal group of people that work with me. Um, many of them, uh, having worked for my predecessor for nearly a decade, many of them um, I worked with hand in hand, day in, day out. And they've all stayed with me as I've changed roles in this office. And I'm certainly honored that they've supported my leadership as we've pivoted and we've made changes, I have a phenomenal group of people. Um, they are truly the ones that, that make it happen every day for the probate court of Madison County. Uh, you know what they say, the bigger your dream, the more important your team. And if it, rhymes, if it rhymes, you know it's good. So <laughs> obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic. You may have heard something about that in the news the other day. Yes. Um, so what, what are the challenges have you guys seen and how have you overcome them during all this? Because obviously people have to come to your office to do all these things. So what are you guys doing to keep everybody safe well, and moving along? You know, it is, it's the things that you would think of immediately, just the amount of foot traffic. We're in an environment that with the, for the great majority, folks were accustomed to coming in and doing business with us in person. Um, even, even our most progressive law firms that might do, you know, hundreds of transactions a month still hand delivered paperwork to the court. Um, unlike the unified judicial system that exists for our higher level courts, there is no unified system for probate court. And so, we have online filing available for recording, but many of them just like the coming to the courthouse and bringing that paperwork. So we have seen a huge shift in how folks conduct business with us. Um, we've seen a huge um, uh, increase in the number of individuals that will process things with us online. We have completely had to change our court schedule um, and how we deal with folks coming into the court for hearings, um, for something to, uh, to, be, to be heard. Um, we avoid in-person contact for a hearing if at all possible. Um, we do a lot of those by Zoom. If an attorney or a party in the matter requests something via Zoom, we do everything we can to accommodate that. I will say that some matters are so complicated, they are hard to resolve without having everybody in the room together. And you take a factor of someone that might be incapacitated, hard of hearing or a vision issue or... Um, there are so many family members involved. It's hard to manage that in an electronic medium. And so, but it's certainly changed the way we interact with um, each, each other, uh, the way we interact with the public. And it's certainly changed the way people do business with us.
I'm one thing I did one thing I did mention is we we serve I serve as the archives for county records. My oldest record that we oversee or have in our possession, I believe, is 1809. And so people come to us with great frequency to pull records. And whether they're doing title research to close a real estate transaction or they're doing genealogy work or any type of research. And so we have vast record spaces um, and staff that staff those spaces and folks coming in with great frequency has changed because they've learned that we can pull all of that and provide it to them electronically. And we've, we've really shifted on, on how we serve folks in the process. So wow. I'm proud to say that you know, the court systems had to close for um, access uh, for a period of time, direct access. We, um, we did not skip a beat. We had a plan in place. We knew it was coming and we were able to continue documents processing. Um, we put a Dropbox in place. We created several opportunities for um, legal professionals in the business community and individuals to continue to conduct business with us. Um, we, didn't, we didn't miss a beat. There wasn't a day we weren't available to, to handle uh, what we needed to handle to keep things moving forward. And I'm certainly proud of that. That's great. So you mentioned it earlier about uh, mental health was one of your focus. So that was one of your big things. Um, so tell me a little bit about the assisted outpatient treatment, how that's going. We're coming up on a year of that being in place and kind of how that's going so far. It's going well. So that is a huge ship to turn around. It's a big, it's a massive wheel to turn and there's so many components. And so what I have focused on is what I could do immediately and where I could be of help long-term. And what we could do immediately was to shift our court schedule. Um, we were not hearing um, petitions for mental health commitment on a daily basis. They would get pushed. They only, might only be heard three times a week. And so I'm just of the opinion that someone in a crisis situation, and by the way, a, mental, a petition for a, or an involuntary commitment in layman's terms is gonna come to this court if somebody is not seeking treatment on their own and they are a harm to themselves or someone else. There's a possibility of that threat. And that doesn't necessarily mean, Joe, that someone is threatening to kill themselves or to physically harm someone else. It could be because of their mental state, they're living in squalor. Right. Um, they're not taking their medication. You know, it, it's not simply a, they're threatening suicide or they're threatening harm to someone else. There are lots of factors that, that, that come into play. And so when a, when a family member or a, um, a member of the community petitions the court for an involuntary commitment, it comes to us, we see roughly 300 of those per year. What I was finding is that the length of time it took to make a determination on the care they needed took too long. Um, I believe that that should be resolved as soon as the law allows it to be resolved. And so with exception, I mean, things happen. You have holidays. Um, you have things that can cause a backup, but we have a general rule that we wanna hear a matter within 72 business hours. So if I get a petition on a Thursday, um, we're gonna have that hearing on Monday the next week. Um, and so there were situations where people were getting pushed out five, six, seven days. That does two things. Um, it keeps folks from getting the help they need, that family support system from getting the relief they need, but it also costs a lot of money. Mental health care is expensive. We don't have enough resources as it is. We're funded at a state level at somewhere close to $50 million less than we were more than a decade ago. And so resources are limited and we need to use what we can control here locally 
as best we can. So changing our court schedule, I hear mental health commitments every day. If I have a conflict and not available, I have two special judges that are appointed that can hear things in my place. Uh, and so that happens on a daily basis here in Madison County. Um, and so just changing the schedule has improved how quickly we help folks. The other thing that we were not doing well, and this is the slow, a slow part of the progression, is connecting the dots. We're always going to have folks, sadly, we're always going to have folks that are mentally ill. Um, we're going to have folks that are not going to be able to manage their illness on their own without a support system. We unfortunately have folks that need to be in a facility um, because of their mental health incapacity. But we have so many folks that maybe it's their first mental health break or just a few, and they've never had, they've never been able to make a connection. Usually by the time someone gets to us, they have alienated the support system that they have. Mom and dad, a spouse, whatever their support system look, looks like, um, their circle of friends, their employer, their faith community, whatever that looks like has usually been exhausted trying to assist them by usually by the time they make it to us. And so we make a determination they need help, they go inpatient care, we don't connect the dots on the other side of that very well for them. And that's something that we're able to do with the assisted outpatient treatment program. Um, we do, we have put about two dozen individuals through that program in the last year. Now that seems like a very small number and it is, I wish that number were a hundred, um, but it's progressive and we've learned things as we've done it. We're one of the first courts in the state to do it. It's allowed through the structure of state code, but you have to pay for it. Um, and you can't ask for dollars until technically you can show, show folks how something works. So we've, we have um, put about two dozen people through that program. And what it does is it puts them in a position where they have to report to the court and they become accountable to the court um, for their mental health treatment. So for a period of 150 days, they see me every 30 days. Um, and my goal every time, every time I have a hearing, I tell them my goal here is to ensure that you're well. This is not a form of punishment. I want you to be healthy and I want you to have the tools you need to be healthy. And we give them that um, through intense case management. We have a specific case manager that is funded through the program. And I'll tell you how we fund that in a minute. But that we fund that works directly with them. If it's a job issue, they can work to help find employment. If it's a housing issue, they can do that. Of course, there are the things you think of making sure they make appointments with their therapist, making sure they see their doctor on a regular basis, making sure their medicine uh, regimen is maintained. And they report into me every 30 days and we look for a positive progression. We've had some, um, you know, I can't share names, but we've certainly had some success stories in this last year. I have one young man who has been um, mentally ill a great majority of his life, had parents with plenty of resources um, and they did everything they could, but he needed to be accountable to someone else other than mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the period of five to six months he was with us, um, he attained a certificate to work as a contractor, um, is living independently on his own, not with his parents, is managing his medicine, his therapy appointments, and is functioning beautifully. And I hope that we're in a position where that young man never has to come back to the court. If he does, we'll be here for him. But, you know, that's one story of a few that we've experienced over the last year. It's, it's slow to turn that, but we are, we are chipping away at it. Um, advocacy, awesome, advocacy is important. Um, learning, we never stop learning. 
Um, I've been fortunate to um, sit on uh, the state board for NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Actually, I'll be in a committee meeting with that later today. I'm only one of two probate judges in the state that actually sit on that uh, state board. Um, work very closely with our law enforcement and all of our healthcare professionals here. We meet with great frequency to, you know, are we doing all that we can? Also in a voice where it's appropriate. Uh, anybody in a judicial position, even this one has to be very careful about lobbying for legislation or being active in the legislative process. But I've worked very hard, try to be a voice to understand that Huntsville and Madison County are not just serving our community, we're serving those communities around us in our smaller counties. And so I'm very happy that um, I hope, and you know, I can't take credit for all of it by any means, but I hope that our role in being vocal um, has helped with what we've seen from the Alabama Department of Mental Health. They will be building uh, three crisis centers throughout the state. One of them will be here in Huntsville. Um, we have some uh, excellent leadership, not only at the legislative level, but locally, Jeremy Blair at Wellstone um, and many community partners that have ensured that, that one of those landed here and it's gonna completely change the way we're able to help those that are mentally ill in our community. So, uh, so advocacy, doing what I can immediately to help and then looking at how we do things long-term, it's, it's a big issue. Let's go. I mean, people kind of, they don't want to talk about mental health, right? It's something that, oh, that's somebody else, but it, it affects so many people that don't want to talk about it. So people, people are ashamed of it. I think I'm probably hypersensitive to it because I grew up in a family with some family members who have experienced issues. Um, I was fortunate that my family handled that well, um, that we were a support, uh, that we did everything we could to help individuals. That's not always the case. Um, I think that there certainly was a generation that you know, we don't talk about that. We don't bring that out into the living room or onto the front porch. We don't talk about those issues, but it's, and I, and I tell folks this when I'm in a more of an advocacy role, mental health is just as important as heart health. It's just as important as cancer research. It's just as important as any other component of health. No one chooses to be mentally ill. And the sad thing we see is folks have co-occurring issues because they are trying to self-medicate and take care of it because they've never gotten the appropriate help. So we see folks with great frequency that abuse alcohol and abuse drugs, whether it's prescription drugs or street drugs, um, to try to help themselves. And it's a vicious cycle. One creative thing we've done is, you know, how do we pay for AOT? Um, you know, it's expensive to case manage 24 individuals. That seems like so few, but that's expensive work. And it's hard to convince the commission that funds the resources, the county commission that, that um, sources the funds or provides the resources for this office. Now, please let me say, I work very well with the commission. They are very generous at this office. There's never a time they don't provide what we need to serve the people of Madison County. But you have to be creative sometimes. There's only so many resources. Mm -hmm. And so I learned um, before I took office that this, this office could serve as a passport application site. In my role, I'm Probate judge is a little unusual. It's, it, it's both a state officer and a local officer. And I am able to serve based on uh, the State Department's guidelines as a passport application site. Well, part of that is they pay the passport application agent, which would be me, a $35 application fee. And in the state of Alabama, the elected official serving that role could actually keep that $35. You come in, apply, you make out your check for what goes to uh, the State Department for processing, 
and you make out another check payable to Frank Barger. And I pocket that. Not a good thing. Okay. Now, let me say this. There are probate judges around the state who are in smaller communities that provide that service where maybe it is appropriate that they keep that fee. Okay. Maybe their compensation is such that that fee is important to them in regard to their overall compensation. So I don't want to say that it's inappropriate for somebody to take it, but in a role like mine where I'm compensated appropriately, uh, and we might, um, now this is, I'm giving you some pre-COVID numbers, but there could be months we might take in 10, 11, $12,000 wow. in that $35 fee, okay? And so it would be, I feel, inappropriate, even though the law would permit it, would be certainly inappropriate for me to keep those resources. So I created a relationship or a situation with the county commission. Um, they take, we take those dollars in, they're put into a county account. And then I go to the county commission and, and say, this is how I'd like to spend those resources. And then they approve that. And uh, so one of the first things that, one of the things we've been able to do is number one, I wanted to build up a little bit of a reserve. You don't know doing that off the bat, how it's gonna work. And I'm certainly glad we did that because applications dropped off um, in our COVID environment last year, they're starting to pick back up. We put enough aside to hire a full-time case manager, and that's been our first focus. Likely, the next thing we'll focus on is putting someone, a paid professional, in the courtroom environment to be in an advocacy role for um, those petitioning the court and, of course, those experiencing uh, the mental health issue themselves. And so that will actually probably be step two. But that's a creative way that we paid for um, uh, AOT. Well, you're a good man, because I'd be driving a Lexus. I'd be driving <laughs> all kind of nice you know, stuff. You know, um, you know um, I've, I've been given more than I deserve. And I know you have, too. Yes, um, we, both work, we both work hard, but I certainly, um, I certainly am, uh, love, to see that the, love to see those resources go uh, to this work. That's right. Yeah, I got I more than I need, so I'm good. I'm, yes. I'm glad you're doing that. So uh, let's get into the, the probably the most fun sure. part of your job. If I had. So let's talk about adoptions a little bit. Let's start Absolutely. with, uh, so how many kids in our area need adopting? Well, it's, excuse me, <clears throat> at the state level, we have about 6,000 children in queue. Um, those are the numbers I've looked at most recently. Here in Madison County, we're close to about 130 to 140 children that are waiting on that forever home. And um, you're gonna see those numbers be higher uh, in metro areas generally throughout the state. Of course, there are 67 counties, but we right now, I got some updated stats this morning. I believe right now we have uh, 21 waiting and 109 that are considered on plan for placement in foster care and the adoption path. And so you know, we have about 130, 140 children here in Madison County that are uh, working toward that forever home. Um, the longer they're in the system, and I only, I, I'm not an expert, I can only speak to what I've witnessed, but the longer a child is in the system or has to wait, the less likely they are to be adopted. And so um, you see with great frequency infants and toddlers and younger children adopted, but probably what moves me most is when I see a 16-year-old adopted or a 17-year-old adopted. Um, of course, a child is a child. I want to see every child go to a home that needs one. But there's something special about parents that that take on the responsibility of someone that's nearly an adult, um, because so many things have been formed at that point, right. and um, it would be extremely hard. Um, it takes a big heart 
uh, it takes a big person to um, be an adoptive parent. Right. So what does that process look like? So um, I decide, hey, I want to adopt. What do, what do I start? Where do I start? So How there, do I do there, about this? there are several paths. Um, for many, depending on resources, might be to approach an attorney that, is spe that specializes in adoption or to approach the Department of Human Resources locally. Um, those would be the, the, the traditional paths. Um, there are situations that happen within smaller communities, a church environment or a, a familial environment where someone, um, you know, a female will become pregnant and does not want to, uh, wants to give that child up for adoption. And they work that out in that environment. And then that's brought to the court through legal counsel. And so um, there are several, there, there are different avenues to, to get to that final process. The great majority of the work happens before it comes to me. And I get the joy of presiding over it and seeing, seeing everything um, culminate into um, new parents and new last names. And it, there's certainly a, an immense amount of joy. But the hard work is on the front end, um, being compliant with state code. Um, having a home study done, making sure that you're an appropriate person to adopt a child. There's a lot that goes in on the front end. If anybody is interested in adoption, the court can't provide direct legal counsel. I can't tell you what you should do. None of my staff can do that. But I would tell you to reach out to an attorney you might be familiar with or that's recommended to you or reach out to DHR if you're interested. Um, there are certainly different avenues to get to the court to make that happen. Right. So, so take me back to the very first adoption you were able to do. So, so what, was your, you know, what was going through your mind? It, it, it happened with great frequency when I worked for Judge Raglan. And I, you know, I was always focused on something else. And it's although I processed in some cases paperwork and uh, made sure everything was in, in um, proper order for the transaction to occur, maybe prior to Judge Raglan hearing the matter, um, I never with great it's very infrequent that I was in the courtroom or or saw that occur. And so there is something certainly uh, life changing about seeing maybe someone, uh, a young couple that have struggled to have a child naturally and have gone through in vitro and done everything, stood on their heads and done everything that they can do uh, to try to have a child. And, and maybe it's a decade long struggle that they've gone through. And you see that couple um, with a child. It, I, I, it's hard to put it into words, Joe. You can't describe that kind of joy when they know that, and it could be that they've had this, this toddler for a period of time, but when that culminates and they have an order and that child becomes a Smith or a Jones or whatever that last name happens to be, there is indescribable joy that those parents have. And if it's a child that's aware of what's going on, um, you can't describe that joy either. You cannot describe the joy of a kid that knows they've been in the system, that might have been between, they might have had wonderful foster parents and have had the best experience that would be possible, but have been shifted to different families and have finally made it in, into, the, into the, the best place for them. There's no way to describe the joy that that child has either. You can't put it into words. Uh, and I've been fortunate to have many of those experiences with families. There's something very sacred about it to me. I don't want to, um, um, it's just an amazing experience. Do you have any that stand out over the years? Any uh, adoption stories maybe that you heard? Um, or that well, yeah, I, mentioned, I, mentioned, um, I mentioned, you know, older kids 
And I had um, very early on, once I took the bench, I had um, two young men, both in high school, that were adopted and um, good kids. Um, and then you connect. And so over, you know, it's hard to believe January the 14th this year, I've been on the bench two years. Um, and so you're at a point now where folks touch base with you. And you can see the progression that some of these kids have made. Some, some parents and some kids are intentional about reaching out to the court. So these two young men, I've seen them, um, one of them graduate high school. I've seen them, um, you know, in their ROTC. I've seen choices they've made in regard to further education. It's fascinating to watch. And I'm honored that folks take the time to follow up and let me know how things are going. Um, so, but there are many that stand out. There's nothing like holding a, um, a small, a small child, um, uh, truly an infant, and seeing that, seeing that child um, put into the hands of a welcoming family. Um, I like kids. Um, I've got a decent kid who's 13, who acts like he's 21 some days. Some days he acts like he's 40. Some days he acts like he's eight. Um, but, uh, you know, he's growing, and I know what a fascinating process that's been as a parent, and it, there's just something beautiful about it. Yep. Well, man, I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your experiences. And, and for me, it's just, it's good. I know you're a competent person at your job. It's just, I know that you're a good man doing the job. So that means a lot to me. Well, um, I learn something every day. Um, I make mistakes just like everybody else. I think that folks commonly look to, to anyone that serves in this type of role is um, you can't make mistakes. You can't fall. You can't, we certainly do. We make mistakes every day. We rectify those as quickly as possible. And we certainly learn from them. Um, the court system is not perfect, um, um, but we do our best to ensure that we are serving the community, that we are transparent, and that we're doing everything we can and giving it 100% each day to do what we're required to do. Um, we also try to be very accessible. Uh, being accessible like this is one of those things. Of course, I quickly said yes because you're my friend, but it's very rare that I turn down an opportunity to talk about the work of the court, whether it's Joe Martin or anybody else that, that might ask me. I love to talk about what we do. Um, as I campaigned for this office, um, I was um, amazed at the number of people that had no idea what we did and no idea of the complexity of what we did. And so it's a joy to educate folks and share about our work. Yeah, well, as a small thank you for coming on there and the work you do, I'm going to give you a hilarious dad joke. Are okay. You uh, listen, you you are the best with dad jokes. Hey, so yeah, we all we all have skills in life. Some people are the no budge judge. Some people have dad jokes. <laughs> I just that's your new campaign thing. I'm gonna need, I'm just, gonna need a bumper sticker or something. I got yeah. you. I'll take care of that. <laughs> all right. So Luke Skywalker is eating sushi and it's getting all over the place. He doesn't know what he's doing. All of a sudden, he hears this voice: "Luke, use the fork." There you go. See, Star Wars, a use of force. You can laugh once you get, once I turn this off, but, but we'll just move on from that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you. Thank you for the work you're doing. Keep up the good work. Well, Joe, thank you for bringing attention to good things. Um, I think in the world that we're in today, we all, um, all of us, um, tend to focus on the negative. We see the negative. We worry about the negative. There is so much good going on in our world. Um, I get to see it every day um, from uh, the public that walks into this office to the attorneys that I deal with. So many good things are going on around us. And I appreciate that you focus so hard on bringing attention to that. And you certainly live that every day. Um, and I'm appreciative of that. 
Well, hey, man, there's good out there. If you open your eyes, it's out there, right? Absolutely. All right, man. Well, we'll help you have a great day. Thanks so much for coming on. You too, Joe. Thanks so much. I appreciate you, sir. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Relentless Positivity Podcast. I have some awesome news. My book is now available on Amazon. Check it out, Relentless Positivity. And also, if you can rate, review, share this podcast, please help us get the word out to as many people as possible. I'd really appreciate that. Share the podcast, share the positivity. Have an awesome day.